Hey everyone, welcome to the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. Appreciate everyone streaming or downloading this episode. I'm really excited to have Jeff Ulrich on the podcast. He's the founder and CEO of Earwolf, which is a huge, massive podcasting network for comedians, as well as an advertising platform for podcasts such as Mark Maron's WTF, uh, Chris Hartwick's Nerdist, and many, many others. They use a platform tool called the Midroll, which is an authentic, organic way to advertise within podcasts. If you want to listen to him at Earwolf, he has a great podcast called The Wolf Den, which is the business of podcasting. You also could check out Scott, his business partner's podcast, Comedy Bang Bang, which is also a TV show on the IFC network. Overall, um, podcasting is a new phenomenon. I think it's the new radio. It's the best way to launch yourself if you want to be in a creative industry. Pioneers like Marin, uh, Ackerman, Hartwick, they've all come together to figure out if we band our resources, we can actually build audiences and make money, which is every artist's dream. So talking to Jeff was extremely insightful and enlightening. We even get into Seth Godin marketing as well as finding your first 1,000 true fans. <laughs> wanted to mention that we are influencereconomy.com if you wanted to find me on the web. Also, if you're listening to this on an Apple device, I would love it if you could leave a comment and a five-star review for the podcast. That really helps with discoverability and opening up to a new audience. That is all for me. Wanted to thank Jeff for joining me. And without further ado, Jeff Ulrich. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm here with Jeff, who is a founder of Earwolf, the podcasting network, which is massively popular and helping to empower artists who are podcasters to monetize and also help them to be creative and do great shows. So we wanted to have them have him on the podcast to discuss a little bit about how he got started and to talk podcasting in general. So did I get that right? Is that what Earwolf is? Yeah. Um, thanks, Ryan. It, well, th- there's really two companies. One is Earwolf, which is our own and operated comedy podcasting network. And then there's Midroll, which is our sales uh, marketplace that helps shows that are not Earwolf shows as well. Um, we work with like Mark Marin of WTF and Nerdist and Doug Benson and tech shows like uh, Marco Arment's Accidental Tech Podcast, Giga Ohm, that kind of stuff. Oh, cool. And you also have your own podcast, correct? I have a show called The Wolf Den about the business and future of podcasting. And how, how is that going for you? you like I it? actually started it a couple of years ago and it was a, it was a very inside baseball, behind the scenes, like Earwolf show um, that built a bit of an audience. I, I'm surprised to this day to hear, you know, like uh, I was talking to Tom Sharpling and he's like, I missed the wolf then. And, you know, Paul F. Tompkins told me he listened to every episode. Um, but, you know, it was like a couple thousand people and I stopped doing it. And I recently just launched it again with um, David Plotz, who's the editor of Slate. And we're starting to get into more of like a focusing on builders, um, similar to what you're talking about, I guess, um, who are doing media businesses that have podcasting as a big component. Totally. I think that podcasters are building their own media companies and doing it in a way that is unconventional to the mainstream, but totally normal to people that live in this world like we do. Yeah. I, I like to kind of mention like Innovator's Dilemma, the book by Clayton Christensen, when he talks about, you know, kind of like disruptors and I know disrupting is, is a, a very in my favorite, term. favorite my, bu- my, my buzzword of the, of the week. 
and but you know I'm gonna be I'm gonna use it in an old school way. The D word. Clay, Clay Clay's <laughs> book is is probably where that word started gaining popularity. But you know you end up with in a situation where you know you're able to innovate because you're not part of the rest of the value network, and it, sometimes that works. And with podcasting, I find that that's a really big competitive advantage. Is that you know we're we're able to produce things for five dollars a minute and monetize it at two hundred dollars a minute, and the agents aren't involved, the managers aren't involved, and we can just do it. And it's 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 a really powerful thing. We're we're in Hollywood. We're we're outside of Hollywood. The people that it sounds like we're using you as a resource to to launch their own post- podcasting careers via listening to your show are actually they're building these media like mini empires that they have all these fans and followers that they can actually bring to your community and Earwolf helps them to make money and to, to get paid for right. their art. Well, I think, you know, I was just actually did an interview yesterday with Brendan McDonald, who's the producer for WTF with Mark Marin, And we were talking about how the lines have blurred between talent and producer and entrepreneur to a point where it's hard to even distinguish sometimes. Um, it's definitely as a producer, if you're a producer, you're also an entrepreneur at this point. If you're if you're in media at all, um, and and a lot of times the talent as well, and and yeah, so that's where I mean, Earwolf is now about four years old, and that's where it all started. Was I, I approached my now partner Scott Aukerman, who's the host of Comedy Bang Bang, it's a hilarious podcast. Yeah, it's, it's now a it's, show, right? It's a TV show on IFC. We just got an order for another forty episodes, so it's going to have been ninety episodes so far. Congrats. Um, yeah, it's exciting. And, um, you know, Scott had a show that wasn't more than a couple thousand people listening, but it was really popular with the people who listen. And I pitched him on the idea of kind of turning the show into something more than just a, a hobby. Um, and then I, I, I said, well, and why not do this for, for more people? Why would we only do this for you? The idea was the funniest people in the world, they just want to show up and have fun with their friends. They don't want to learn... Uh, editing software. They want to build websites. They don't want to figure out merchandise. They don't want to sell ads. They just want to do what they do. And and so that's what we did. We built an infrastructure that allows people to leverage what they can do, and then we do everything else. So it's like a one-stop shop. And for to, to simplify it is you guys have the studio, you have the equipment, you can edit, and they just show up and be themselves. Absolutely. I mean, and that's what it started as. Now we have a, a whole staff of people that are actually not involved in the production at all, but are involved in every other aspect of trying to you know, make the show as great as it can be, get more distribution, uh, interact with our fans, run contests, do merch, um, all kinds of things th- that we do to support the shows beyond just like having an engineer record and edit it. So I talked to uh, Jamie Wilkinson, and he is the founder of a company called VHX, and they mm-hmm. sell... Uh, direct distribution for artists. And there's an yeah. in, indie game, the movie is a movie they put out on their platform. And have you seen it? I haven't, no. It's awesome. And, and I saw them speak at South by Southwest Interactive and they talk about your first I've heard class. about it. It's really good. It's just the, they talk about entrepreneurial gamers and, and in that sense of the word compared to comedians. And I, I love how you say the blurred lines of what talent, producer, entrepreneur. And that's what they're doing in film. And so they talk about their first thousand fans are the most important fans. And you just touched upon that. Can you talk about what it was like for your podcast or Scott's podcast with Comedy Bang Bang and how long you had those thousand fans and then how you grew that into a larger like, content world? 
So, yeah, I mean, Kevin, now I'm really dating myself, but go back and read Kevin Kelly's 1,000 True Fans thesis. It's, um, he's a co-founder of Wired, and okay. he's, a, he's, a, he's a great mind, and, and he really like is the, the first person I know to really put pen to paper around this idea that really an artist only needs 1,000 fans. to like, His theory is pretty simple. If you can get 1,000 people to spend one day's wages per year to support your art, you can you can do art for for a living. Right. Now you're not going to be you know selling out twenty thousand ticket stadiums and all that stuff, but like you can make a good living as an artist if you can get to that to that level. And you know I'm a, a Seth Godin disciple. I've produced a podcast for him, and he's the same way. You know he always says never sell to strangers. Talk to your friends and let your friends talk to their friends. But you know this the idea that the core. Uh, is what's important is is pr- predominant all over the place, and we always say like you can't have insiders if you don't have outsiders. Right. And so one of the things that we did was said like we're never going to water down the comedy. You know, none of our shows are are scripted or you know we don't note people. We just say like you you make your show. We'll we'll agree with people on a, a show based on a piloting process, and sometimes it's one pilot, and then we're like that's perfect. Let's go. Sometimes it takes five things you throw away before it's right. But once it's right, we don't touch it. And essentially what happens is people bring their own thousand true fans, and then our job is to nurture those people and give them the tools to help spread the word themselves. Because it's really hard when you're in audio. You know, there's no such thing as virality. Mm-hmm. You know, people aren't like clicking on 80-minute audio files, sight unseen, and sharing it on Facebook. So it really is like a grind, but at the same time, you know, we're growing. I mean, our our best performing shows will grow at a twenty percent clip per month um, until they hit like a critical mass. So uh, the growth is great, but it, it, uh, there's also no silver bullet; just a lot of lead bullets. And when you have someone who's starting out, what kind of advice do you give them? Who someone like me, even this is you know, I have less than ten podcasts and. I'm doing them every other week at this point because I don't have the bandwidth to a weekly show. Like, when do you feel like, I'm sure it's different for other people, but what kind of advice do you give and when do people know when they find their voice and really hit their stride? Well, so the advice I give is very generic, but it's the best advice I know. Um, Consistency, number one. So if you can't do it every week, that's fine. Do it every two weeks. Don't try to do it every week and and then let your audience down. If you train people to to get used to spending time with you um, and then you're not there for them, that, that's, ex- that's very you know, erosive of your audience. Um, I would say that another thing is to stay true to your voice, whatever that is. Um, you know, there's a lot of voices out there and at the end of the day, authentic people who have you know, their own perspective and point of view and they're willing to share it and stand behind it are the people who create the most compelling content. Um, I would say that it's important to know what your niche is. And, and this goes back to the thousand true fans. You, know, you could become like the world's most popular podcaster, but it's only going to be if you focus on those thousand people that you most care about reaching. Right. And then that becomes attractive to, to, to everybody else. Um, and so, you know, I think editing, <laughs> editing is another thing that no one seems to do. Like just because digital bandwidth is cheap and, and, and people can hit, hit start and hit stop whenever they want doesn't mean they should put out everything that happened in between. Right. Um, 
you know, <laughs> your, your audience will grow and will appreciate the care you take in crafting what they listen to. And that only becomes more and more important as you grow. I mean, Earwolf now is up to like 7 million downloads a month or something like that. And so think about that. You know, for every show, if we just edit one minute that's not really like the top shelf part of the show, you know, that's like huge amounts of human time collectively mm-hmm. that now is freed up to go listen to other podcasts or to do other things. And you know, you're really going to limit your audience if you don't take care of them in the editing process. So trim down, get rid of the fat, and don't yeah. be Janis Joplin once said it was really hard for her to kill her babies when she was writing songs because she would have these albums that needed to get cut down. And you get so attached to themes that you love, but you know maybe your top 1,000 fans aren't going to like. Yeah. You're always better off offering less at a higher quality and keep people wanting more rather than the opposite. Okay. That's great advice. And then what kind of podcasts right now are you currently listening to? I'm sure you listen to them all day. My actually, I don't. I yeah. it's um. I used to. I mean, there was a time when I was like in the room whenever an Earwolf episode was recorded. I was in the recording room. Um, I haven't been in a room for one that I wasn't a guest on in years. But it's a it's a general case of the shoemaker's kids never have any shoes. Um, you just you know you wind up getting busy running your business, and all of a sudden the last thing you have time for are podcasts. I listen to probably five podcasts a month, which is down from probably 10 a week when, when things started in the beginning. And those five are almost always speculative. They're, they're new customers of ours on the mid-roll where I want to understand the kind of shows that we're signing up um, or are people who are asking to be part of Earwolf and it's me kind of doing a talent check to see if they fit. Um, I, I, I listened to the Andy Daly podcast project. That's hilarious. That, that we put out. That's eight new, episodes. Right? It came out, yeah, in February. Uh, it's over now. It was eight episodes. I did listen to that for pleasure because you, know, you get to a point where when you make something, all you're listening for is like the quality. Like, was, was the sound good enough? Was the editing tight enough? Were, were the jokes on par? You know, like, it's hard to just sit back and relax and, and enjoy it. But with Andy's show, I gave myself permission to just relax and enjoy it, and it, it was phenomenal. You were on the creative side when you started, and now you're coming back to that. But what's the business end? And, and tell us well, what? actually, so Scott is the chief creative officer for Earwolf, and you know, I I have opinions, but ultimately, it's his final say on what we do and don't put out. Um, my role has predominantly just been to run the business side and. Um, you know, for the first several years, that meant just to do a lot of different things, kind of do everything. Um, I always had a, a fairly small staff, um, and especially in the beginning, people were pretty inexperienced. Um, you know, in 2010, people weren't like killing themselves to get jobs in podcasting. So uh, that's changed, though. You know, we've been growing. I think we're up to maybe like 18 people, and we're trying to hire two more. And now I have a management team around me that uh, takes care of a lot of the stuff. You know, I have a head of sales. I have a COO slash head of product. I have a CFO. Um, I have an EVP of artist relations. And I'm able to do a little bit less of the day-to-day and a little bit more on the content side where it's, you know, uh, recruiting artists, um, 
talking to managers and agents, which I said at the beginning were kind of in Hollywood but outside of Hollywood, that's changing. Um, as more and more representatives get involved, they're trying to have their, their artists start doing podcasts, and so they come to us and ask for help. Um, you know, with mid-roll, like we, we sign shows that have nothing to do with comedy at all, and I have to spend my time figuring out you know, who to go talk to and, and that kind of stuff. And do you think this is a job you'll have for a while? I mean, you're built, you yourself are building a media company within the framework of a smaller media company, podcasters being a part of it. And do you think you'll have this for years? Is this, it sounds like it's a sustainable company. You guys are kicking ass. Well, I mean, you know, we basically, we have this company called Midroll Media that no one really knows about because it wholly owns Earwolf and Midroll, which are the brands that people kind of pay attention to. But you know, Midroll Media right now is is positioned in a, a good place. We're the market leader at everything that we've done, thank God. I mean, Earwolf has probably 15 of the top 100 podcasts, and I think the next closest competitor is probably like at five or something. And Midroll also has like the best shows in the world on the platform. It's the only place with, with technology where you can do self-serve purchasing. So advertisers can just go on the website, sign up, and go buy that's cool. an ad on, on Mark Maron's podcast. And that's not available anywhere else. So we're lucky. We feel like we're market leaders on both the content side and on the, the monetization and, and ecosystem kind of angle. Um, it feels like we're early. You know, like it, There seems to be a lot of wind at the backs of us and other podcasters. And you know, it feels like it's, it's good time to be doing what we're doing. Um, sure, there's, there's lots of risk and everything, but you know, we've been at this now for, we just had our fourth anniversary, I think. Um, we've been profitable basically since month three. We have no financing, you know, no debt, no, no investors. So it's all uh, in, 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 you no know, venture capital? No, we've self-funded everything and, and we're profitable and we're growing. You know, we, we grew by uh, almost 200% last year, more the year before. You know, it's kind of just, it's all up and to the right, and we feel like we're in a good spot. Um, so, yeah, I think this, this could go for a while, and we're having fun. And I'm fortunate enough to be in a place where I can keep hiring people to do the parts of my day-to-day that are least impactful so that I can kind of keep moving up the chain of doing things that are more and more interesting and exciting and, and world changing. Um, so I'm, I'm really fortunate in that regard. Yeah, actually, I know we, we have to go in a minute, but what, what was the first year like when it was just you and Scott and a few others and podcasting really was, wasn't a, a, a term that we knew about? It was bad. You know, I, I don't think of it that way, but my wife certainly likes to remind me that my memory has, you know, she always says that I'm like, uh, women who who forget what it was like to go through labor um, you know it was hard we went through i think like four engineers and there was a lot of people who had to get fired and things went wrong and i didn't know what i was doing and no one knew what they were doing and we had no money i mean we did our revenue was nineteen thousand dollars in the first year and we only started with thirty thousand dollars it's oh. not like we started with like a million dollars or anything um it was hard, you know, but somehow we made it. Luckily, Scott's super talented, so his show kept growing, and you know we were able to attract other really talented people like Howard Kramer and Paul Shear um, and the Sklar brothers and a lot of people. So 
it was really hard, but it, it you know it laid a foundation that's allowed us to now grow to where we are and, and have a little bit more scale. But it's not the same company. I mean, I've had to become a different person. It, being a bootstrapper in an industry with no blueprint um, and no money is very different from trying to run, you know, a ten million dollar revenue company with twenty employees. It, it, it's it's fun, but it's challenging. It's no longer a startup. No, not really. Okay, well that's great. Uh, well, we should maybe call wrap this up because I know you. We both have to get going. But if so, Scarlet Brothers is my favorite podcast on your network. I'm wearing the shirt. And yeah, see, oh nice. Yeah, I saw that. And if you if any comedian podcasters are listening out there, what do you tell them as far as incorporating their act on stage onto the show that they do as a podcast or do you recommend they have guests? Like how's the comedy formula work in the very early stages? Well, I mean, our secret sauce is is really to make sure that that your show is formatted and structured similar to the way you would a television show. Um, we're not big fans of gab fests and, and, you know, like one comedian complaining about the lobby croissants at the Des Moines Best Western. Like that idea of just kind of like constantly riffing for the sake of like you're a comedian trying to be funny, that's not our thing. Um, we prefer like more uh, understandable, relatable, um, refillable vehicles where – uh, the audience knows what to expect. There, there's there's beats to things. There's pacing to it where you can be comedy bang bang, and five years later, people know what to expect. Um, you know, we, we take a lot of pride in the fact that we're very calculated about the shows, and at the same time, we try not to make them so so calculated, or so formatted that they sound rigid. Like I said, we don't give notes. So, you know, the things that the the artists talk about, it's it's on them, but they know that like there's a certain style that that we've all agreed on and they stick to it and it really helps the shows and it makes it easier for people to listen. So think about format, think about structuring it as much as you can. Keeping it tight, knowing knowing what your 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 point of view is, all of the you know, basically anything that you would consider when you're making any media really. Um take it seriously. Like I said, a lot of people show up and they're like, oh there's a mic. Let's turn it on um, and go from there. And, and you've got to be Jimmy Pardo type talented to get away with that. Right. We're just riffing off the top of your head. I mean, he and he does it. <laughs> it's yeah, he's amazing. Brilliant. He's brilliant, but he's he's certainly in the minority. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you, Ryan. Good luck with your project. I'm excited to follow it. 